Um, morning church, today's reading is coming from Mark chapter 10 verses 17 to 31 and I'm reading from English Standard Version, the rich young man. Thanks love, it's okay. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And you say to him, Teacher, all these I have kept for my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lois. Morning, church. Um, I think today, being Father's Day, we'll do well to remember just what a loving Father we have in heaven. And I think in worship that was coming up, just what he has done, how he's loved us, how he's so generous. He has done so much for us. I'm just going to list, say some of the things. He, you know, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. He's our Lord and our Savior. Once Jesus had provided salvation for us through his death on the cross, God raised him from the dead, sat him at his right hand, and then he took us who believe, placed us in Jesus, and set us in heavenly places. Isn't that amazing? That is awesome. And then on top of that, he gave us his Holy Spirit as our companion, as our comforter, to seal us as his children. Father, thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you so much that you are a loving father. You are the ultimate father. And we worship you this morning. We declare that there is none but you. You are a good God. And there's no other besides you, God. We love you. So today we're in week three of the Mark series. Ryan preached about two weeks ago just how Jesus did not come 
to make our lives better. But it was about establishing the kingdom. He came to call us into a kingdom. He didn't come to make your life or my individual life the best life I can have. He came to put us into a family, into a kingdom. Nowadays, there's lots of teaching about how it's all about me, how it's about my deliverance, my comfort, my healing, my prosperity, my family, my this, me, me, me. But it's about a kingdom. It's about a church. It's about a bride for Jesus. It's about a people. There's a bigger picture that we are a part of. Yes, you get to be saved. Yes, you are a child of God. Yes, you are blessed. But you are blessed within a bigger story that has been going on and will carry on going on until he comes back. This self-centered focus that we now see comes from selfish motives and sinful ambition. And Ryan highlighted as well in that same message that Jesus, Jesus didn't tolerate sin. Jesus raised the bar to sin. You remember when you were speaking that Jesus actually said, if it's your eye that's causing you to sin, gouge it out. That is the standard that Jesus came. He came to provide salvation for sinners you and I, but at the same time he came to, ra- to raise or to, to, to actually show you what the bar is when it comes to sin. And this is what we want to talk about today. Ian also preached last week and said sin causes our hearts to grow cold. And when our hearts are cold, we cannot see God. We cannot see the goodness of God. We cannot see beyond our little lives. And I say little not to disrespect, but just to show you that it's a drop in the ocean. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger story. And today we're going to focus on a specific encounter that Jesus has with a young man in Mark 10, verse 17 to 31, which was read. The sermon is called The Rich Young Ruler. And as we get into this sermon, I just want us to imagine yourself being in the audience of seeing this encounter. It will help you to understand where both sides are coming from, where this guy is coming from, where Jesus is coming from, and what's happening between them as they interact. So this rich young ruler, as he becomes popularly known or he has become to be known, we don't know his name, but what we do know from this text and other texts is that he was young and that he was very religious, very religious. In fact, he had been religious since he was young, He says, from my youth, I've kept the commandments. And in Luke 18, verse 18, it says that he was a ruler. So theologians reason that he probably was a ruler of a synagogue. We also know that he had great possessions from our text. In fact, if we don't understand what that means, Luke 18, 23 makes it clear, and it says that he was extremely rich, extremely rich. That should tell you where he's coming from and what sort of things he's contending with and his lifestyle and what he's used to. On the surface, we can be impressed with this young man. He seems to be seeking the truth. He's rich. He's a leader in the community. If you're today, for us today, this guy would probably have a large social media following, right? He would be popular. He would be a role model. We would all be like, wow, this guy's made it. 
You, you know, you just want to root for him. You're, you're like, wow, you know, this is an amazing man. But he lacks something. We can see from the text that he comes saying, I'm lacking something. But he's rich. Why, why would he be lacking? We'll touch on that later. He appears humble as well, you know, because he, he runs and kneels before Jesus. My friends, in this culture, rich people did not run, let alone come and kneel before a working-class rabbi, carpenter. That would have shocked everyone watching. Remember I said, let's try and picture what's happening. So there would have been a commotion because, like, what? That guy is coming to talk to this guy? And kneeling. There are four issues from this text that I believe God wants to flash out so that they can help us understand what is happening not only in this text but also happening with us or can happen with us. So the first issue is that you cannot be good even if you tried. You cannot be good even if you tried. What did he mean by good teacher? Why was this a problem for Jesus? The man didn't know he, he had opened a can of worms when he actually came and said, good teacher. I mean, it sounded like a, the, the best thing to say. Jesus was a teacher. But on the surface, it looked like it's, he was on track. It looked like he had come seeking wisdom to the right place. But then Jesus says, oh, hold on, hold on. What do you mean good teacher? Psalm 14, verse 2 to 3 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. No one is good except and because human beings cannot be good, we are incapable of being good on our own. Jesus is saying to me, hey, 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 do you understand what you're saying when you say good? We are born sinners. Our default is to not seek God. That's our default. It's not to seek God. And therefore we become corrupt. We desperately need a savior. So if this guy believed that he was good because he kept the commandments since he was young, if he thought in his own mind that, look, I'm actually a good guy. That's how we think, right? No, this guy's a good guy. Douglas is a good guy. If he thought that, Jesus immediately arrests him and says, what do you mean good? Only God can be good. In, Matthew, in the Matthew 19 account, the rich young ruler actually says, good teacher, what good thing can I do? So he's using good twice. And Jesus is saying to him, what do you mean by good? You're casually using this word good. The standard for good is God. That's the standard. So if you say good, you mean God. There is no good deed that any of us can do. You cannot just call anything or anyone good. 
It's almost like Jesus saying, hey, 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 do you know who you're talking to? There are three sub-points within this first point that summarize what I'm trying to, to put across. The first one is, Jesus is saying, I am God. You come to me and say, good, you better know that I'm God. The second point is, only I am good. And the third point is, man cannot be good. You can't be good. God is good all the time. Amen? Isn't that what we say? That's what that means. Only God. That's the standard. God is good. The second issue that Jesus reveals is that you cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. The man goes on to ask in verse 17, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, it seems like a good question. You know, he's asking the right questions. That's what, you know, that's what it would look like. Why is this a problem? Before this scene, if you read this whole chapter, you will see that in Matthew 10, verse 18 to 16, Jesus interacts with children. And it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in, in his arms, and blessed them, laying his hands on them. On this Father's Day, I just love how Jesus is reminding us of the Father heart of God. He wants all children to come to him. And if you still aren't seeing that that means you, he wants you, his children, to come to him and not be hindered. They should be nothing. There should be no one that should hinder you from coming to our loving Father. He wants all children to come to him, young and you. Let's take a closer look at what is happening with the words that are being used in this passage, or between this passage and the one I've just read. So Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a small child shall not enter it. But then the rich young ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When you compare the verbs that are being used in the original Greek language, you understand what is truly going on. So for the Greek brothers and sisters amongst us, please forgive me as I... Probably I'm going to butcher your, your language, but I'll do my best. <laughs> so the first part, Jesus says, we must be like little children and receive desektai, which means to take, to receive, to accept, to welcome. But our friend said, what must I do to inherit? Kleronomeso, which means to inherit, to obtain or possess by inheritance, most importantly to acquire. This reveals his heart right away. What must I do to acquire eternal life? Romans 6.23 tells us that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He should have said, good teacher, how do I receive eternal life? Not 
acquire. In acquiring, you are implying that you are capable of meeting the requirements to pay what is needed for you to get what is being sold or given. You cannot acquire eternal life, all the things of God, or his kingdom, because they are not for sale. They are given by a generous father. As for the cost, you cannot afford it. He was asking what he needed to do to acquire a free gift. What righteous acts, what good deed must I do to please God so that he would give me eternal life? This is legalism. This is what Ian was speaking about last week. Unfortunately, this is also a slap in Jesus' face. Because what he's saying goes against the very reason why Jesus came to earth in the first place. Jesus came to seek those who were lost, those who were destined to be perished. But importantly, they could not save themselves. They couldn't acquire anything. They were lost. They needed a savior. John 3, 16, which we all know and love, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He gave his only son. The cost for all those who are lost, which is you and I and everyone who has been and will be, the cost for all of those souls was the life of Jesus. No one can afford that. It needed a perfect man. It needed a good man. But since man cannot be good, God gave his son to become a human called Jesus who lived a sinless life. And therefore, he could pay. Only he could pay the price for sinful man through the death on the cross. He is the only good man that has ever lived and will live. Jesus, standard. He bought our salvation. He paid because he is the only one who could afford it. He paid with his blood and he spared us and saved us from death, from hell, from the wrath of God. Instead of us going to hell, God then adopted us as his children. That's why we're talking about him being a wonderful, loving father. Because this is what fathers do. This is what good fathers do. Jesus was the perfect and ultimate sacrifice. Therefore, let us receive him like little children. Because he is loving. Praise God. Amen. This is good news. This is the gospel. This is why we're all here. This is what we need to be telling the world. On one hand, you've got a father who's offering his son and providing free gift of salvation. But on the other hand, our friend is saying to Jesus, Whoa, hold on. Don't worry. You don't have to go to the cross. What do I need to do? Tell me one thing I can do, and I'll tick, and I'll go and do it. Death on the cross, what good deed? This is an insult to God. This is self-sufficiency. I can do it. I can sort it out. I don't need God. It's a sin. Brothers and sisters, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. There is nothing any of us can do 
to get saved or even to get God to bless us or to be pleased with us. We are only able to remain in Christ by faith in Jesus who is good and perfect and pleases God. His deeds are complete. They're finished. There's nothing you can do to add or to remove. It's done. It's the, we, are, we are hidden in a perfect God. Amen. If you're hearing this for the first time and you have not crossed the line of faith, I want to encourage you. It's free. God is like this. He's, our Father is like, come, my son. Come, my daughter. Come. I'm waiting. No matter what you've done, come. It's been paid for. No matter how bad you think it is, it's been paid for. You can't atone for it. There's nothing you can do. Come. Just come. It's all been done. But if you're already a child of God, let's ask the Holy Spirit if we have tried to acquire favor or blessing through our own good deeds so that we get a chance to repent because we know that this is sin. It's not going to please God. Issue number three, you lack one thing. This is what Jesus says to him. You lack one thing. This passage, for me, when I was reading it, it seemed like Jesus was being rather firm with this guy. You know, almost like he didn't like him. And, you know, you're like, but what has he done? You know, but as you dig deeper, you start to understand why there was need to, to be firm with him. Because it's not like Jesus doesn't love him. We know in verse 21 that it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. So... Why is Jesus giving him tough love? It's because this is a continuation from what we've been talking about in the previous two weeks. There is sin here, and Jesus is trying to jolt this guy out of his delusion. This guy thinks he's perfect. He thinks he's good. He thinks he's, he's, he's sorted. He just needs one more thing. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You're lost. You're seriously lost. John three thirty six says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remained on this guy, and yet he thought he was fine. He was so deluded and so comfortable, so pleased with himself that he wasn't aware that danger was lurking. It's like if you see your loved one about to be hit by a car and they're, they're clueless. They can't see that there's danger coming. Do you say, hey, look, there's a car coming? Or do you say, hey, look out, there's a car? That's what Jesus is doing. He's jolting him out of his delusion. The man was facing God's wrath. The man was headed to hell. He thought he was a good man. But Jesus is saying to him, you can't even keep the first commandment. I know you're saying you've kept all the others. You can't even keep the first one. Exodus 23 says, You shall not have any other gods before me. How do we know that that's what's going on? It's because when Jesus said, You lack one thing, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me, he was disheartened. And he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. What's going on? He had his security in his wealth. His God was his possessions. Materialism. This is the sin of idolatry. That's why 
Jesus was pushing him. He is in sin. Grave sin. We know how God feels about idolatry. If you read the Old Testament, it's all about that. So he's saying, hey, I've ticked all the other commandments. I've done, I've done all of them. I've, I've not murdered. I've not cheated on my wife. I'm not. And, and Jesus is like, no, no. The rich young ruler was justifying his self-sufficiency because he was very legalistic. For him, it was keeping rules and the law. And therefore, I'm a good guy. I'm blessed. His comfort was that he kept the law. But we know that you cannot be saved by the law. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet you know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. In other words, deeds. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The law cannot save you. You cannot save you. So you need a savior. So what is the one thing that he lacked? Is it, did Jesus want the money from selling the property? Is, is it, was it about giving his stuff to the poor? The one thing that he lacked is found in John 5, verse 20 to 21. And it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Jesus is eternal life. That is the one thing that he lacked. Jesus is saying to me, you lack me. You lack me. That's what you lack. Not that you haven't given to the poor. No, no, you lack me. This is the only thing that you need. If you are stripped of everything, whether it's your wealth, your family, your livelihood, your health, your job, everything is taken away from you. If you have Jesus, you have life. That's what he's saying. God forbid that you are stripped of those things. And I am not saying those who have lost, Jesus does not sympathize with you. He is there, he's comforting you. But what I'm trying to explain is that compared to all things, Jesus is it. If you are a follower of Jesus, let's ask ourselves, would Jesus be saying to us, you lack one thing. And if you have Jesus, then you'd be saying, well, but I have Jesus, so I don't lack one thing. Well, maybe, maybe we've put things above Jesus. It's interesting how John says, Little children. Remember I said, we're children? Little children. It's not insulting. It's, it's a term of endearment. Keep yourselves from idols. And it's like, Jesus is eternal life. He's all you need. Keep yourselves from idols. Why? Because idols stop you from seeing that Jesus is eternal life. Idols stop you from going to a loving father who is saying, come, come to my throne of grace. We sang that earlier. I was so encouraged. Like, that's what the theme is. Come. That's what God is saying. Come to me, my children. Come. Free. It's all free. It's been opened for you. The, 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 the veil has been torn. 
The throne of grace is there for you to boldly enter. Come. Idols will stop you. Sin will stop you. Issue number four. This is the last issue. You need to die. I find it interesting that the rich young ruler wanted to know about eternal life. But when Jesus was explaining to his disciples, he kept talking about the kingdom of God. He didn't use the words eternal life. And as I was grappling with that and saying, yeah, but God, why are you saying how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Why didn't Jesus say how difficult it will be for those of wealth to get eternal life? Linton helped me by showing me that this speaks to the focus of the two men. So the rich young ruler is seeking eternal life, which is good, which we know is found in Jesus. He's seeking that. Why? Because he's selfish. It's about him. It's about his life. It's about him going to heaven. It's me, me, me. Jesus talks about entering the kingdom, which is all of us. He's talking about his body, his church, the big picture, the mission. He's not talking about one person's life. He's not talking about an individual. We are all in this big kingdom. This church that he is growing, that's what Jesus is focused on. And he's saying, if you are, if you are selfish, if you are not even looking and seeing me, you're going to miss that there is a bigger story. There's a church that is being built. There's a body of which Christ is the head. Again, it exposes our friend's selfishness. Let's look a little further into this issue of selfishness. It now looks like Jesus is giving conditions for the man to receive eternal life. That's the other thing I found interesting. I thought it was a free gift. We've read earlier that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. That's Romans 6.23. We read that. But now he's saying, go and sell everything and come and follow me. Is that a, is that a condition? No. We know that eternal life is a free gift. But this is a test. It's telling us that Jesus can see that there's something stopping this guy from coming to him. R.C. Sproul once preached that Jesus knew that this man was committed to his own wealth, was so committed that his own, that he had no room. Let me read that again. R.C. Sproul once preached that Jesus knew that this man was so committed to his own wealth that he had no room in his heart or his life for the things of God. His idol, his false god, was so dear to him that he decided to let go of what he came looking for. Remember, he came saying, hey, tell me the one thing I need to do. And then he's like, no, actually, I'll pass. I'll stick with my god, my wealth, my possessions. This wasn't a condition for salvation. It was a test to reveal what was really in his heart. It must have broken Jesus, guys. I mean, think about it. It must have hurt him to know that I'm here. It's me. I'm eternal life. And the guy is like, no. I've got too much, too much to give up. This is why Jesus died for sinners, so that we would not have bondage. Tim Keller in his book, Jesus the King, he says, so Jesus is saying to this man in this passage, You have put your faith and trust in your wealth and in your accomplishment, 
But the effort is alienating you from God. Right now, God is your boss, but he's not your savior. And here's how you can see it. I want you to imagine life without money. I want you to imagine all of it gone. No inheritance, no inventory, no servants, no mansions. All of it is gone. All you have is me. Can you live like that? And he said, no, I can't. We must be willing to let go of our lives or our sense of security, our achievements, our wealth, our belongings, whatever it is that you think makes you you, because only Jesus makes you you, because apart from him, we can do no good thing. Nothing. We are nothing without Jesus. He's not asking us to give up these things so that we fall into poverty. No, 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 no. He's not doing that. But he's asking us so that we're not self-sufficient. So that we rely on him because he's the provider. He gave you those things anyway. We are not to be ruled by idols. Only Jesus can be the Lord of our hearts. But there's something even more important. There's a revelation that's more important that we shouldn't miss here. And again, I go back to Tim Keller and I'm quoting from the book, The King's Cross. And he says, Jesus at this point... Which point? The point where he's facing this guy and this guy is walking away or is about to walk away and Jesus can see. So he says, at this point, Jesus is about you know, 31 years old. He looks at him and identifies with him. Jesus can relate with this guy. Why? Because he too is a rich young man. Far more than this man can imagine. Jesus had lived in the incomprehensible glory, wealth, love, joy of the Trinity for all eternity. He had already left all that wealth. He left it behind him. And Paul says that through Jesus, though Jesus was rich, for our sakes, he became poor. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. That's why he can relate with this guy. He, he, he's like... I know. I understand. He gave up everything, including his life. So he's not asking him to do something he hasn't done before. He knows. He's done far much more. In fact, this request is like a drop in the ocean compared to what Jesus had to give up. Luke 9, 23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. Can we deny ourselves, take our, our crosses every day and follow him? And remember, we were reminded in worship, we can boldly enter the throne, that throne of grace to get the grace we need every day. So even if your cross is heavy, even if you think this is too hard, there is grace for you to do it. A word for the rich. As we land, Jesus is not saying to the rich that you have to be poor in order for you to enter the kingdom or to receive eternal life. He's not saying that. Jesus is saying, you must only follow me and have no other God. In that specific situation, this man worshipped his possessions, mammon. He worshipped mammon more than God, and he chose wealth over the wealth giver. 
Only Jesus is our true treasure and wealth. And there's a verse, a charge from Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That's storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The rich are not to be arrogant or superior, but they are to set their hopes on God and not on riches which are uncertain. I mean, if you, if you, if you don't believe that rich, riches are uncertain, look at what COVID had, has done to the livelihood of people, rich and poor. COVID has decimated. So it's uncertain. You cannot go and say, this is where I stand. You can only stand on one foundation, and that is Jesus. And it is Jesus who provides. They are to be generous and ready to share. So we're not saying get rid of your wealth. We're saying, hey, be ready to share. Why? Because Jesus didn't eradicate poverty. That's another false teaching, unfortunately, that's prevalent. He didn't eradicate, but there are poor people amongst us. And he expects us to look after them. He said it. The poor you will always have. There are poor people we need to look after. So how are we going to look after if we don't have the resources, if we don't have the wealth to do that? Rich Christians, thank God for them. We need to be thankful for that. That's a gift to a church or to us as a community. They are a gift. But in them, in their own lives, they must remember that it is about and the poor must also not get disgruntled and feel like God has abandoned them because God identifies with them and he provides their needs. So everyone is taken care of. It's one family. And then Jesus also says, nothing is impossible for God. That statement alone proves that God is good. Even though he had told his disciples that how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom, which discouraged the disciples, and they were now saying, oh, you know what, if this guy can't be saved, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, no, nothing is impossible for God. And that means that even though our friend here walked away, dejected, there was still hope for him. He could have just come back. So there's always hope. That's how loving God is. There's always hope for you. It's never too late. He is not saying it is impossible for rich people to be saved. He's saying that it is difficult because of the temptations that they face. But even if it's difficult, nothing is impossible for God. Just come. Come to him. So true for anyone in our midst or watching. There is nothing impossible for God. You can come to Jesus. You can receive eternal life right now. There are no conditions. There are no rules. You don't have to jump through any hoops. It is all about faith and receiving God right now as a child, as a little child. In conclusion, the rich young ruler failed to get what he was looking for because he didn't know what he was looking for. Eternal life was right in front of him. And his name is Jesus. And it is found in Jesus. All of it is in Jesus. It is by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus. It is all about him. And he could not see it. And he walked away sad. 
This message is really about how material things or people or stuff we hold dearly in our life, whether good or bad, and good, quote-unquote, because nothing besides God is good. So all of those things, how those things can trip us up and cloud us and actually become gods in themselves over our lives so that we fail to see the true God. And we get lost and we become self-sufficient and end up falling into legalism and trying to please God. Maybe I should pray more. Maybe I should go to church more often. Maybe I should... Those things are good, but they will not move God to bless you. That's not why God loves you. God loves you because of Jesus and because you are in Jesus, full stop. It's done. And remember, John slips that little verse in 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's a message to us. Let's keep ourselves from idols. Let's be ruthless with idols, just as we are told to be ruthless with sin and cut off your arm if it's causing you to sin. Let's be ruthless with idols. We'll get a chance to pray, I'm sure, Ryan, but yeah, just feeling like we need to be thankful to God of just how loving he is and just what he has done for us, how much he's given us and enabled us to come to him, to receive all that he has. Not only has he given us his son and salvation and the Holy Spirit, he's also given us gifts. That's why we're able to come and worship him and in our prophecies, preaching, worship, all the gifts that are here, it's all because of God. He's done so much and wants to give us so much. Thank God, what a wonderful God we serve and what a wonderful Savior that we serve as well. Jesus is so amazing. Apart from him, we can do no good thing. I just feel like uh, there's three people groups that we need to pray for. People who want to receive Jesus, people who want to be freed from idols, and then people who want to be freed from legalism. I really believe God wants to break that. I saw chains coming off, and I really, I really believe that that's what God wants to do with us. So I'm just going to lead us in a prayer, and then uh, Ryan can come up. So in Psalm, Psalms 139, 23 to 24, it says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there are any grievous ways in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So I'll start with those who want to receive Christ. There are no rules, no formulas. It is really about you and God talking. Just tell him. Just come before him. Tell him how much you want to come. How much you want to receive him. How much you are sorry for not having known him. Just be open with them. Father, thank you so much that there are people out there and in here who want to receive you, who want to receive, you, receive your free gift of salvation. And I just pray, God, that you would bless each and every one of them, that you would welcome them into your family. Angels are rejoicing right now in heaven as they join your family and they are sealed and receive your Holy Spirit. Thank you for making that wonderful decision to join Christ. It is as simple as that. It is as simple as that. Just saying, yes, I want to be saved. I want to follow Jesus. I want to lay down my life for Christ. 
And then we also want to pray, God, for those in bondage. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would start to move amongst us and that you would loosen and break the yoke of bondage, break the chains that have held your children, Lord. We want to break idolatry, Lord. We want to break whatever idols are in our lives. We break them in the mighty name of Jesus, and we say we have one God. Father, may we only set Jesus as Lord of our hearts. We, we turn away from our idols. We run away from these idols, Lord. We bring them to the cross and say we have nothing to do with these. We want no part of this, Lord. We only want Jesus. I pray, God, that you would bring healing right now. There are people who have been struggling with addictions, with sin, and, and, and God, you are breaking that right now in Jesus' name. The mighty Holy Spirit is moving in the power of God and breaking all sinholds, these strongholds, these sin um, addictions that have held and crippled people, that have held them in bondage for so many years. Even though you're a child of God, God is saying to you, come, receive my grace right now. Receive grace right now. You are free. You are free. You are free. Freedom. Freedom and grace is upon you. Grace is upon you. Oh, what a wonderful father. I pray for those who who have felt that they needed to please God through legalism. And God is saying, no, 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 my son has done it. You You don't have to run. You don't have to do anything. He's done it. Just receive it. Receive his righteousness. Receive Jesus' holiness. Receive his purity. You don't have to do it. He's done it for you. Just accept it. Just receive it. Welcome it like a child. You are free. God says you are free. I speak freedom. Freedom upon us. Freedom upon this church. Freedom upon who's ever listening to this. And say, God has freed us so that we can come and receive eternal life. We can follow his son and pick up our cross in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. What a wonderful father. Amen.